Hi, welcome back to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark Sayers and Daniel Merton today. Intrepid sound man. Yes, he is on the microphone. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Mark, how are you going? Good. For those at home uh, listening, we are in a very different configuration here in stage four lockdown in Melbourne. Yes. So where we'd be in the same sort of space, we are, I don't know, spread out over what? Is this 20, 30 meters? 20 meters, yeah. 20 meters. I'm in a different room with a glass between me and you guys. And you guys are, you're not just socially distanced, you're extremely socially distanced. Mega distance. Mega distance. There's no social about it. No, no. But good to be here. Um, I also, you, I love your desk, um, temporary setup desk here, Liddy. You've yes. got total COVID safe I happening. I have COVID set up. I've got my hand sanitizer. I've got a picture of our chief medical officer, Brett Sutton, for the state of Victoria in Australia. I've got my worker permit, yes. um, which allows me to be here. Yes. And I've got my mask at the ready. Fantastic. And I've got the remnants of a donut in a cup. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you need? Well, not much more. No. I'm all set. And I guess, you know, we've been uh, taking a bit of a break uh, mm. during lockdown here in Melbourne, focusing on uh, Red Church here. We have recorded a new series for Rebuilders, mm. uh, which is exploring the, the meta changes that are occurring in culture across the world. Um, so that's definitely something to be keeping an eye out for. We are really excited about that series. But this episode, we kind of want to take the opportunity to pivot a little bit mm. and answer some of the questions that have been coming through to you, Mark, mm. um, that explore a number of things, including what does this pandemic mean for the church? Mm. What on earth is happening in America? Mm. Um, and, you know, the general blanket conspiracy theories. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to unpack some of that yeah. today. Is there anything that you wanted to, I guess, explore before we kick no. off? I mean, I think, yeah, like we, we obviously did Rebuilders Leading Through Crisis early on mm -hmm. as people responded to the pandemic. And then um, I guess, yeah, as you said, took a bit of a hiatus, really felt that need to yeah, you know, I think as a staff team, make sure that we were looking after ourselves in this time and yes. pivoting the church to respond well. Um, but there has been a small, small flood of questions the whole time coming in from, I guess, people who follow this podcast, listen to this cultural moment, read books, really asking, I guess, you know, how, how are things developing as the pandemic's gone on, as this cultural change gone on? So this is a chance to I guess, respond to some of those front of mind questions that have come in. Um, and, and also too, like it's just been almost hard to get back to all of them. So if you sent me a message and I haven't <laughs> got back to you, um, was unable to get to all of them, but this is our attempt to try and respond to some of the questions that are floating around for people. Yeah, great. Well, how about we dive in? Yeah. Let's take this opportunity to answer some of the questions. Mm. Let's start off uh, looking at uh, the, the church and renewal during and post pandemic. So mm. uh, this is kind of taken, or the questions that have come in have kind of taken two different uh, directions. So let's start by exploring some questions around digital church and discipleship. Mm. Um, I'm going to read out a couple of questions mm. and then I'm just going to throw to you and feel free to just explore them. Mm. Uh, so first one is how can we help ourselves or others with forming patterns 
when we are socially distant and isolated. It's much harder online. Mm. Uh, another one, uh, with the trends of decentralisation slash solitude, what opportunities do you see for church restructuring? Uh, what does a skill set switch up look like now that helps us evolve into the future? And then this one, which was, uh, I think it's from Twitter and it's split across two messages. We've got uh, here in the Midwest, USA, most are holding both in-person and online worship, but engagement is low. Barna says one third isn't engaging at all and Rainer expects 20% are not coming back. My experience has been that few to no outsiders or seekers are currently showing up for church. And um, the, the question to frame around those statements, would you say now is a time for emphasising personal renewal, discipleship and prayer among the remnant to prepare for what we pray the crisis leads us towards? If so, what should we look for to know a time for outreach and evangelism has come? Mm. Look, some great questions. And there was, there was even more to yeah. um, you know, around those themes. Um, I think... To, to help us think through these questions, I think it's really to ask what in the midst, what are we in the midst of? Mm. Um, I found it really interesting um, just behind you, Liddy, unseen to our listening audience is a yes. whiteboard and um, on it is a bunch of thinking we did early in the pandemic. Um, and there's a couple of whiteboards um, when we could meet here, um, you know, a bit easier and we're thinking through stuff and I've just had a look at a couple of them coming in like today and stuff from three months ago seems really irrelevant. Um, we are in Melbourne, but Melbourne lockdown 2.0 looks very different to what the situation looked like here two months ago. Yes. Um, you know, we had an experience in Melbourne where we went lockdown pretty hard early on. Mm. Um, and then we, Australia was in quite a good place and, you know, um, New Zealand had sort of eradicated it. We were very close behind a lot of Australian states had eradicated it. And then all of a sudden we had this second outbreak, um, in Melbourne and, you know, even New Zealand's had its own outbreak and all of a sudden everything looked very different. Um, so part of the problem is that it's really hard to predict from this point. Um, and I think part of the skills at this point is so much of our forming of how to think and how to lead is shaped by here's what the plan looks like. We make a strong prediction and then we make a plan which aligns with that prediction and the best way to, I guess, um, succeed in the face of our mm. prediction. We're in a really interesting moment where um, I would describe it. I read an article and it was more talking about the economy but basically what the author was arguing in a post-COVID economy is it's not that there's one definite thing that's going to happen. We're in a very new situation here um, and uh, the church finds itself in a very new situation in terms of being unable to meet across the world um, but still able to meet digitally. Really interesting. Um, and what this, uh, this article said about the economy is that actually what it means is I think they use the term the future is open. Mm. And they wanted to explain that there's multiple possibilities that could happen. Yeah. And I found that a really interesting way of looking at this. So there are different people predicting different things. I think early on there's a lot of people like, oh, we'll just have this five-week break and this will pass and we'll mm. get back to what we're doing. Um, then there was a lot of, I think, you know, concern like, oh, is church just going to go completely online now? Is this the future? There was concern around, is this just church's entertainment now? What does this all mean? Um, and I began to see that, we're in the middle of a game, uh, like, like a football game, 
you can't see what the results of a football game and the final score is at halftime. And if you look at the timing of this pandemic, um, you know, and that's something I've been doing in my leadership, trying to like, okay, so what, first of all, what, what could the time frame of this be in terms of the disruption of meeting, not meeting? Um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be really difficult to meet as church did before um, until there's a widely available vaccine in your country. Mm. And I say in your country because we have listeners from all around the world. Um, so first of all, when there is a vaccine widely available in your country and people feel comfortable to come back. So it's interesting the question there about um, 20% not coming back or the question about um, you know engagement is low. Is engagement low because people finally, this is exposed cultural Christians, or is it low because there's a bunch of people who are voting with their feet and like, I'd love to come back to church, but I'm not because I actually don't feel safe, even yes. with a reduced capacity in my auditorium or whatever. Um, we just don't know. Or it could be both plus other things. Mm. So there's this really interesting, um, almost epistemologically humble place that we find ourselves in that multiple things could happen. One thing I'm noticing is that most people, and this is not just inside the church, this is in business, in other areas, they, their time frame for this is the best case scenario. Now, we've never had a vaccine produced this quickly. So the most optimistic is there's people saying, oh, you know, we could have it out um, at the beginning of 2021. We need to realize that some of that is politically motivated. Um, and if we do pull that off, that is a world record. Others are saying that, you know, it's going to be later in 2021. And this is all on the proviso that we actually come up with a vaccine. Um, and from my understanding, we've never made a vaccine for a coronavirus before, despite it looking currently promising. So how I think about it is... If we had to snap back to church, so even in two weeks, we could do that. We've run church services in body for years. What most people are not preparing for is for the fact that what if we can't actually meet and we're continually disrupted for two to three years? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's how I'm thinking about church, that we need to be prepared, that we have to think about how our churches could run if they're disrupted for two to three years. Now, again, if a vaccine turns up, brilliant. If things happen in January, fantastic. But we tend to forget that if you look at what we've seen of the world since really probably 2016 with everything from Brexit to the Trump um, election uh, to coronavirus, the linear view of the world where it goes naturally from an A to a B to a C, that's really happening in a complex world. So in a sense, we need to assume that the vaccine is not necessarily going to go A, B, C and someone's going to score a you know, half-court shot on the buzzer and everything's going to be all right. So I'm encouraging people to think longer term and what if this disruption goes longer and then if it's not and we go back earlier, brilliant, we can do that. But we need to have a long-term view in how we're thinking about this. Now, the other thing that that says to me, and we were talking about this just as we were setting up, um, that the longer you break with the past, the possibility of new patterns begin and breaks with patterns in the past. Mm -hmm. So I think the longer this goes on, there definitely will be um, new patterns. Numbers of people I've spoken to here in Melbourne, um, and I said, would say Australians are very busy um, people. And, you know, like as a parent, um, lots of parents found themselves running around like headless chickens on Saturdays and Sundays with kids sport and elite sport and extracurricular activities. There are so many parents going, man, I don't want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, like, 
will that break and people are like, I don't want to do that? Or if in four, two years, three years, 18 months, this thing goes, does that just all rush back? We, we just don't know. So there's an element where I feel like at this moment to position ourselves right, we actually have to move from a predictive way of looking at things. Mm. What, what, what can we predict? We can predict that for some time this thing will be in play. Yeah. What we can predict that in four weeks, coronavirus is not going away. The second thing that you can predict um, is that you can take an adaptable position. Yeah. The passage from scripture, which has really come to me a lot recently, is Israel in the wilderness, where their movement was determined when the column would go in front of them and they had to wait on the column. Mm. And so, you know, I feel um, for us at Red, our thinking through this, if this is helpful to other people, is that we can't predict. We can't predict if we're going to go back to the exact same services. We can't predict if a third of our people won't turn up. We can't predict that a whole new third will turn up. We have grown with people who've joined us in this mm. time. Will that translate? Will we go to a hybrid? I don't know. I think there's a lot of open futures, but what we can do is actually work out how to be adaptable now mm. and then ask the question, like I think Deuteronomy 6 talks about this really interesting place where Israel is about to enter into the promised land and God's speaking to them and saying, you know, you, you were taken out of Egypt and you went into the wilderness. Now, when you're leaving Egypt, you are... You know, Israel was groaning. You know, it said that God heard Israel groaning and they were oppressed. What this interim period of the desert and the wilderness showed Israel, which they were in for 40 years, there was actually a much more direct route to get from Egypt to the promised land. Yeah. The reason God allowed them is interim time is to do a particular work in them. And what was revealed in that time is that they'd escaped Egypt, but their groaning then shifted to grumbling. Why? Because there was Egypt in them. Mm. And so even the oppressed have a bit of the oppressor in them. So Israel had to learn that lesson. And I think, you know, in terms of uh, adopting an adaptable mindset about the coronavirus, I've tried to think, okay, so there's things I can't do at the moment. I just have no control of that. I don't know what this looks like when we come back. But what can we do in this time that actually we can't do when we come back? For us at Red, we have switched to this concept instead of thinking about our congregations, how do we get our congregations, keep them, get them across the line? You know, we've realized that the primary organizing sort of principle of gathering is huddles, groups of four, three, four, which people are doing via Zoom. Hmm. Our push now is not to be in a congregation. We see our live stream, uh, which we do, as more us encouraging people to do church in their home in these huddles. Um, and a lot of that's digitally. So in a sense, I don't see it as a, um, you know, a, a new form of ecclesiology because we just haven't been in this long enough to really determine that. Mm. Um, there is a reality for a lot of the church in the world, in particular the persecuted church, that digital ecclesiology is all they can do. You know, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, the church in the Persian-speaking world is growing through digital ecclesiology. Yes. Um, but, you know, I see this moment as, and the question there about how do we help ourselves or others with forming patterns when mm. we're socially distanced and isolated, I see this moment almost as like an isolation exercise. And there's a little bit of a play on words there. We're obviously isolated. But then there's people who want to build up a particular muscle by doing isolation-style exercises. Okay, we can't 
worship in the ways that we did before as freely. Depends where you are in the world. You know, like we in, we in Melbourne can't even gather more than anyone than, our, than in our particular household. Mm. But what can we do at the moment? I think one of the weakest parts of the church, particularly in the West, has been discipleship culture. Yeah. So at Red, we're seeing that the best thing we can do in this time, instead of focusing on what we can't do, is actually focus on what we can do and that's drill down. So whatever it looks like when we come back, whether it's a hybrid or whether it's exactly what it's like before, whether it's something new, we will emerge from this with a super, you know, strong discipleship culture emerge from this time. And so I think, you know, my advice to anyone is to look what you can do, not can't do at this time. Mm. Understand that this is going to be a period, probably 18 months, two years is, is my guess. And there may be opening. There's probably going to be a bit of a yo-yoing in that period. Um, uh, also look at your local political culture. And this is a really interesting point. When the pandemic first started, everyone was almost in a similar boat um, and, uh, you know, I was on Zoom calls with people literally all over the world, multiple continents. We're all locking down. What does this mean for the church? Well, it's totally different in different countries now. Um, you know, that person said in the Midwest, they've got in-person and online worship in the U.S. That's reflective of the political culture of the U.S. and of Midwest states. Mm. Here in Victoria, um, we're in super lockdown, which is representative of our political culture. And also the political culture of our state of Victoria in the next state across in South Australia. There's people meeting in reduced services also because of their caseload. Um, you know, New Zealand is in a very different space or it was in a different space. But it also realised like New Zealand were able to meet and have conferences and they thought they'd eradicate it and then it came back. So also things can change very quickly. So I guess a less prediction, more adaptability um, and asking the question, what can God do in this wilderness time that he can't do once we enter into the promised land? Learn the lessons of the wilderness time. Um, so in terms of, you know, um, just, a, just a quick comment on, I think, the, the person who asked about um, yeah, a third not engaging at all. The other thing I would, I would comment is I think this is, and someone did ask too, I don't know if we actually read it out, but there was a question around, um, I saw earlier, you know, is this just fostering more online entertainment or is this sowing seeds of renewal? And, you know, my, my thought is that actually it's done the opposite of what people thought, which would be to just create an online church, which is really, you know, easy for cultural Christians. My, my thing is I think it's actually the cultural Christians are switching off, <laughs> I think. Mm. I think in America you're seeing higher numbers of people not engaging because – you had a higher, if you look at the, you know, we've spoken before about the um, Barna research, the resilient discipleship um, uh, research, and the church in America is a lot bigger than, say, Australia or New Zealand or Canada or the UK. But what's really interesting is that the numbers of resilient disciples, which in a sense is Barna's word for the, the remnant. The remnant, yes. Um, is actually very similar. The, the, the size of a remnant in Australia is actually similar per capita to the US. It's just the US has got a heck of a lot more habitual Christians, which is the study's word for cultural Christians. Mm. So I'm not surprised if those numbers are dropping off overseas. I don't see that in Australia or in our experience. But again, too, I'm not over all the data in Australia. So, so um, you know, I think in this time, leaders adaptable. What's God doing in this time? And what God did in the wilderness in Israel was birth a new remnant. So I think that needs to be our focus in this time.
what I want to um, put forward to you next, where we look at renewal remnants and the pandemic. So you've already started to touch on some of this, particularly this first question um, that asks, in your opinion, is this season genuinely producing the seeds of renewal or is it even more playing into church as a form of entertainment? So you you sort of already broached that. um, But there's a couple more that I just want to pose to you before I hand over uh, what is the future of the church coming out of the pandemic? Mm. Um, so this is looking forward again. Uh, and also, uh, how have you seen the themes of disappearing and reappearing church, uh, both books authored by you, mm. during the pandemic and into post-pandemic society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. again, there's been some great questions as my stomach rumbles post-donut. Um, <laughs> that's... that's um, I think that when you study renewal movements at, movements at any time or revivals or awakenings, at the same time there's often revival and awakening, there's also people stepping into heresy and walking away from the church. Mm. I think we have this thing that one big thing is going to be happening at one time. Um, you know, I do think that this season is laying seeds of, of renewal. Um, I really do have that sense as I talk to people across the world. Um, and it's also revealing church's entertainment in a lot of other places as well. So I think in a sense both are happening. I don't have this fear that, um, oh, it's just all now online and it's all entertainment and the renewal's over. I actually see the seeds of renewal being um, very quietly and humbly laid mm. as always. Um, I guess the two other questions in terms of the future of the church coming out of the pandemic and have you seen the themes of disappearing and reappearing church during the pandemic and into the post-pandemic society? A couple of, couple of comments. One of the big trends I have seen is I go back to what I wrote in Disappearing Church um, and even you know a lot of what I spoke about, I guess, on this cultural moment was the emergence of this post-Christian reality mm and um, post-Christian cities, you know, and we talk about London or Melbourne or, you know, Paris or whatever or Copenhagen and really the emergence of um, how that was happening. Um, also, you know, you're starting to see that in places like Seattle and Portland and New York or LA. Um, what I'm seeing is um, when the pandemic happened, it was really interesting. We went from this globalised world where people were moving around to we're now in our countries, mm. even our cities, even our neighbourhood. Australians are not—we're not allowed to leave our country. Um, you know, Qantas, our chief airline. You know, there's people making estimates that Australians might not be able to travel overseas. Um, you know, for years. Um, I saw one about America. Like, I think there's only something like six countries that can travel to America at the moment, which is amazing. And wow. you know, like for many countries, the US will probably be off the flight list because of the levels of infections for several, you know, multiple years to come now. Um, and you know, again, to vaccine could change some of that. But what I saw happening is it was really interesting. I, I did all these Zoom calls to different different countries and groups of leaders around the world, and. What I saw was different things happening in different countries. And in some countries, people were coming together in real unity. Um, Other countries were working through big issues. Other countries were actually more polarized in the pandemic, but there wasn't one thing happening. So what what I'm saying there is I feel that actually what's happened is I find that it's really hard now to talk about post-Christian culture in the West. The West is 
becoming really different. Yeah. <laughs> um, Europe, particularly Western Europe, um, has reacted to the pandemic in this particular way. It's, it's, it's like the pandemic came and it was this globalized experience for the first month. And then in the reactions of our various political and cultural um, societies, we reacted differently. Um, so Western Europe, um, you know, reacted in this really particular way. You saw Germany react in this different way. You know, Germany, I was reading how in the UK, the UK um, had this, I guess, this um, philosophy of efficiency. Like we need as many hospital beds. It's almost like just-in-time production for its hospital beds. So whilst England had the NHS, which it's hugely proud of, and um, it also had this efficiency model for its hospitals, Germany didn't have an efficiency model for its hospitals. It actually had surge capacity for its hospitals. Germany had more beds in hospitals than they needed, which wasn't very efficient. But what that meant was when the virus first hit Western Europe, Germany had a lower death rate than the UK because they had all these beds. Now that shows the difference in bureaucracy and organization between Germany and Britain. Um, you know, Denmark and Sweden, two countries which are quite different culturally, as much as people put them in the same boat, but still have a lot of interaction. Um, you know, the bridge from Malmo to Copenhagen, there's a lot of people who live in those cities and commute to the other country to work, uh, you know, cut off from each other because Sweden pursued a very different approach of trying to gain herd immunity compared to Denmark sort of shutting down. So you saw almost like Europe started to look very different and different parts of Europe, East and Western Europe, North and South, looked really different to Australia. And, you know, Australia with a lot of ties to the UK and, you know, a lot of Italian Australians and Greek Australians, you know, there was this really interesting moment where like, oh, wow, we're reacting differently. The US took a completely different approach. Um, and Australia, bizarrely, and New Zealand, almost the approach we took was more like Asia. So it's been this fascinating moment where I felt for years, I've talked about in my books, this emergence of this post-Christian Western society. Mm. They seem to be going in very different directions now. And we'll probably track into that a little bit in the, in the next section. So mm. I think that's the first thing. It's really hard to now talk about the West because really different things are happening in the West. In the UK, um, you know, you saw early on um, this big uptake in people joining online churches you know, which is contrary to what that question was happening of what, you know, Barna and Rainer were saying is happening in the US. Um, we didn't see that early on. But then interestingly, there was some research from McCrindle, which just came out recently that now that almost we've gone into deeper lockdown in Australia, you're seeing these people praying. There's this spiritual awakening happening in Australia or, you know, opening for many people. So there's different things happening in different countries. So it's really hard to say what the church looks like uh, in different places because almost like we've been brought back into our own national stories and national contexts in a way that we hadn't before and even really locally as well. Like I've never been so connected to Melbourne and my state of Victoria. <laughs> like, um, you know, South Australia or Tasmania feel like other countries now, you know, um, because the people like our Premier and Chief Health Officer are the most important people making life and decision, life and death decisions for us now. So it's this really interesting in a time of globalization, this real reconnection to where you are. So a podcast like this, where we're talking globally to a global audience, I just want to remind everyone to really be aware of your local context, your local culture, your local city, your, your state or province or wherever you are is really, really important. So I think that's one thing. But I think that the second thing, reappearing church, really was the belief that, you know, I felt God sort of leading me to this, and I guess my thinking was that as the post-Christian West promised us this wonderful life 
that inevitably that was going to fall short, <laughs> that it couldn't deliver that. And I think that the, the, the pandemic has actually sped that up at an incredible rate. Mm. I, I foresee crises happening over a longer period of time and we had them happen faster than I could imagine. Um, so I think that the, what the, I think what the pandemic has done, and I've heard a few people say this, it's not like it was a clean break with the past. It took underlying contradictions, underlying tensions, and, it's, and underlying changes and exacerbated them. Um, digital culture, it's accelerating. Um, countries that were already polarized, like the USA or Brazil or you know, India, um, where there's been political polarization, it's, it's accelerated that. Um, and uh, countries that were sort of moving to almost more a technological technocracy, like countries in, in you know, Asia, it's accelerated that as well. So I think it's accelerating, but I think that the real argument of disappearing church is that eventually the post-Christian West and post-Christian world will turn to some kind of renewal because the post-Christian world can't deliver the kingdom without the king. And I think that actually we're just seeing that. So I'm in a sense troubled by what I see in the world, but also optimistic mm. that I think people are going to are more and more questioning the idols of our age. And... Um, they're being shown for what they are. I think we mentioned it in a previous podcast, but just, just to reiterate, so much of the enlightenment and Western culture was built on the proviso that man did not need God because we had conquered nature. And this year, Australia and well, the world, Australia particularly, we've been hit by chronic bushfires, which is nature and climate change. And we've been hit by this pandemic. Mm. Um, so that then puts that idea that you can live without God into question. I'd be interested, Mark, to hear from you. What's your, as you think about renewal and what things look like beyond this, have you had any sense from God as to what he may be doing as kind of things are dispersing, futures are looking different? I think God's speaking a lot. I mean, I, I, I feel that the weakest parts for the church, particularly in the West, was there, were, there was churches in the West which could, on the surface, we you know, look successful and doing great things because we could gather people in a room, great worship, we could do wonderful things. Um, but our weakest point was, I think, the discipleship of what they looked like when people went home by themselves or mm. in their households or families. This has cut out that middle part and we're back in our households and families. The sense I also got with reappearing church was not only that crises were coming, but crises lead to renewal. And... I felt there was this sense that God was preparing for the next renewal by laying seeds. And I also feel like this pandemic is an acceleration of the trend of God laying seeds in people's lives. There's a lot of people who have taken stock. There's a lot of people who were running away from themselves through being, being, through being busy, who can't achieve now, um, who can't find meaning in travel, who can't find meaning in their job, uh, working from home, sitting in track pants, you know, like... Um, there is a bunch of stuff that God is doing in a bunch of people, which is confirming what was already happening or even starting something new. So I believe God in the world at this time is strengthening the church. And it may look like a smaller church shaved of some of the cultural Christian, I was going to say shaved of some of the fat, saved of some of the, the Christians fat on teaching that don't do anything. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's creating a, you know, pressure creates diamonds. I said in reappearing church, and I've seen that happening. Mm. Um, I think there are people discovering new possibilities in their own faith. 
So I feel God is preparing. Like, like you know, there's, there's a couple of Zoom calls I was on with, I won't say which countries, but a bunch of leaders in a couple of different countries. And, and just the end was just some of the most amazing moments of ministry I feel like I've had in years where just there was this sense of God's got us in this crisis, we have to turn to him. Mm. Um, I, I think what is being deeply pulled down, I mean, so to go back to Deuteronomy 6, basically what he says there, God says to Israel, I think it's what he's saying to us, you know, if you go into the land and forget that you are daily fed on manna, I'm paraphrasing, you will think that you did all this, you know, the strength of your hands built this kingdom is really what he's saying. So he takes Israel into the wilderness so they can't be fooled that they did it. Because in the wilderness, they literally cannot have a strategy. They cannot have a plan. They cannot have a five-year vision. It's not about how talented they are, how much of a platform they're built up. Um, it's literally like you'll get up in the morning, God's going to provide a, a bread for you. And we're in that. We're in Groundhog Day at the moment. Every day is the same. Yeah. And it's daily manner. And you know, I think that God is doing this, but this is a preparatory season for what God wants to do next. I don't feel stressed about like the renewal has got to happen now. I think this is a preparatory season for what God wants to do next. And it's a, a, it's a time of sifting and sorting and, and not everyone's going to make it through. Um, but the people God wants to make it will get through. Um, so I really feel that God is preparing us now not to panic, but when we enter into the promised land, I'm not saying there's going to be some amazing promised land as soon as the pandemic ends, but I think he's preparing us for the next season. Hmm. And, and I just go back to the fact like, you know, there's an element that at first I was like, oh, man, we can't meet. And I was looking back in the first bit of the pandemic. Oh, we could do this before. I look back and, you know, I, I, I think I, I've said it before. I think there's a virus before the virus, the virus of lack of commitment. The fact that, you know, we're talking about, Average attendance in some denominations is now every six weeks, you know, that people are, you know, coming less and less and their lives are more busy and less committed to Jesus and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Do we honestly think that how things were before we were going to see a mighty move of God? You know, no, like, like, so there is a huge opportunity that God is putting before us, but it's going to be the humble, the hungry um, and, you know, those who are going to move into that next space. There's a profound rewriting of the script. But I actually think instead of us gaming it out and planning as much, it's actually stopping and listening to his word leading us forward. Thank you so much, Mark, so much to think about there. And I guess just as you were talking, particularly in that last section, I really feel like my heart is stirring for what God is preparing. And may all of you who are listening uh, sense that stirring of God to call you to humility, to come to him, to seek him and seek his face. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.